Stacy. I'm Jenny. And this is Learning for Life, a homeschool podcast. We are two homeschoolers who use different methods, curriculum, and strategies to make it all work. Our goal is to help parents teach kids how to develop a lifelong love of learning. Welcome back to the Learning for Life podcast. We are discussing today part four of Home Education by Charlotte Mason, which is called some habits of mind, some moral habits, which I'm really excited about this part of the book. I think uh, I think this is probably the chapter of the book that I uh, got the most out of so far, maybe. So maybe some of you guys are feeling the same way because there were certain parts of previous parts that I just could not understand. I don't know, it's probably a character flaw. But so we are here with my usual co-host, Stacy, And Hello, we're- and we're also here with our, our longtime friend and Charlotte Mason fan, Christine. Hey. <laughs> I said expert, I think, last week, but I don't think that's actually accurate. Necessarily. No. Yeah, after we're still I was learning. like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. We're all still learning. So uh, we like Charlotte Mason, but we're, we're learning for life about this. Um, I just want to remind everyone that you can comment live with your thoughts and questions and we will do our best to respond to as many as we can and you can always comment even if you're watching or listening to this after the fact you can always comment and we will respond to those as well so um and also i I do want to remind you that this is a live video on youtube but it will be available after the fact as just a regular video on our channel so you can watch it at any time but also you can listen to this anytime because it's on our podcast feed learning for life so Check it out, and you can basically find us anywhere. So that's really exciting. How are you guys doing today, Stacy and Christine? Pretty good. I'm excited to talk about this. Yeah, I thought this section, I think there's a lot for us to chew on. So I'm really excited to just, like, dive in because I feel like we'll just need to get into it. Let's get down to business, okay? <laughs> yes. <know>. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so... The first section, there's actually a little section at the beginning of the chapter, uh, at the beginning of this part, I should say, that doesn't even have like a subtitle like most of them. It's just the beginning of the chapter. Um, And this one, I actually thought it was really cool. She talks about habits, um, of course, because this is a continuation of last part, which was like habits, like more like physical habits, like getting in the habit of doing this after you do this. This one is some habits of mind, some moral habits. So it's more like mental habits which we'll get into more i'm sure but um so something i thought was really cool here at the very beginning was the whole concept of training and habits like training and habits as in like us the parent becomes a habit and that is so cool to me because i feel like it's kind of hard to establish habits sometimes but once you get into this mindset of habits are important then it's not necessarily easy, but it becomes a little more streamlined. Um, so I was wondering if you guys had experienced this in your own homeschools or your own family lives. Yeah, I think I have for sure. One of the one of the notes that I wrote was just like forming habits makes life easier. <laughs> it just really does. Like, and we get into this a little bit more. I love that she kind of sets this up because she goes and talk about like attention and you know truthfulness and all these different things. Um, I, I totally agree. I think it does make life easier and it sure makes educating children easier (laughs) when these habits can be formed at a young age. Yeah. And it kind of goes to something that you talk a lot about, Christine, about just being mindful. So being mindful of the foods your kids eat or being mindful of what your kids watch or consume, Mm -hmm. but it's also like being mindful of the habits that you're creating in your home. And Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. What do you have any thoughts on that, Stacey? Yeah, no. So one thing, and I can't remember if it's in this specific section or just a little bit later on, but she talks about um, that trying to create habits can, you can try to do too much all at once and it can seem very intimidating. And she mentions like writing down a list of 20 habits that you want to work on and just work on them one by one. I feel like for me personally, especially with my children, I find that there are like 50 things I would like to fix all at the same time. And it just gets me nowhere because I'm like, oh, 
pick up your socks. Oh, don't forget to hang up your towel after this. Oh, and like yeah. all these little things that are all part of these habits, but it's like, you really have to be intentional and focus and do one by one. And so just reading this kind of reminded me of that, where you want to pick one thing and then focus on that. And then she also mentions once you master one, you can move to the next one, but you want to be very conscious about not letting that that new habit that you just mastered slip back away. So it's kind of like a slow circle, but then also revisiting. So it's this weird cycle. Yeah. And she's really big on not nagging, which is really hard not to do. I can't <laughs> at least I for me relate to this woman. I don't know. <laughs> I know. Well, it is funny because she doesn't, I think maybe she uses the word nag, but I've actually noticed it. I'm actually partway into part five, the, the next part of the book. And she says something about don't tea. <laughs> no, this is the first time in my life I've ever been ahead in any sort of reading. <laughs> but um, she, she uses the word tease, like don't tease with corrections, like don't nag. And I thought that was kind of funny that that's the word that was kind of used back then. Um, but yeah, she's big on like, don't nag your kids because that's not going to actually teach them anything. That's not going to enforce these habits or reinforce these habits. That's just going to annoy everyone, you, your kids, everyone. So I think that's what I'm really getting from this is like, and I think we talked about it in part three was like that whole script of like how a mother helps her child remember to shut the door after them. Um, it's a lot. It's not naggy. It's very positive, you know. I love too, like this, you know, she kind of sets up obviously with the name of the chapter, it's like habits of mind and moral habits. And I really do think that like when we think of habits, we tend to think of like tangible habits, like closing the door and picking up towels and putting our shoes away, which are all important things. But this is really like, what is it like four things that really are like the underpinning to being able to learn anything. And so I thought that was kind of cool um, on page 136. And here she talks about the concept of like habits as capital for children, like later to draw from. And I just love that, like the concept of like habits being an investment in your children, because no matter, you know, no matter what happens and no matter where life ticks them, like if you can give your child the habit of attention, for example, especially in this day and age that we live in like that is invaluable in my opinion mm -hmm. so I think it's kind of cool because we can look over these like mental moral habits I think and they're super important I honestly think that this chapter should have come before the last one but that's just me being nitpicky <laughs> I think she's ramping up to the good stuff maybe maybe that's what's happening yeah because the first three parts I'm gonna be completely honest with you guys I didn't enjoy reading the first three parts I didn't really even take that much stuff away from any of them and maybe that's just me so but now I feel like it's getting into the nitty-gritty of the stuff that people talk about about Charlotte Mason right now talking about well we'll get into it but like short lessons in this section this is what she's talking about and people don't believe me but like I do homeschool in less than an hour a day total with my kids because I use the Charlotte Mason method and I go off of what she's talking about a little bit later in this part. So um, it's just the stuff that it actually you can apply, I guess. Um, it's not so like, like, like in the last part, there was stuff about physiology. I just, I'm not interested in that. And I, that doesn't help me with my everyday homeschool life. So, well, and one um, thing coming at it from a new, like, you know, somebody that has not really looked into the Charlotte Mason method, the beginning chapters were definitely kind of for me, like, it let me know where I was. It, she kind of laid some of the groundwork. And so I know like for you, you already kind of know all of like what she's about and what she finds important. So for you, you're like, yeah, I know all this. Get me to the good stuff. You know, get me to all that practical application. And so I totally agree. Like I'm enjoying these more, but I definitely feel like I needed those beginning chapters if you don't know anything about Charlotte Mason at all. Well, that's good to hear. And like, seriously, chime in anytime you want to be the voice of the person who doesn't use the Charlotte Mason method or doesn't know a ton about Charlotte Mason, because I think that's important to keep in mind. Like, I, I know at least I am totally in this Charlotte Mason universe sometimes, and I kind of fall down these rabbit holes and I kind of just assume everyone understands who like these literary references or like Charlotte Mason concepts and stuff. But I think it's important to keep in mind that not everyone knows about this, or if they're reading this, they're reading it for the first time and they're like, their mind is open to these ideas, but they have never heard them before. So I love that you just chimed in with that because yeah, that's something good to keep in mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
One other thing oh, that ahead. I'm noticing on this first section that I think just as like a reminder, because she does start mentioning like some other ages in here, which was like slightly confusing, but this is still home education. So again, like eight and under, because like you'll see, um, like, I think it's your example of like school in an hour a day, I think is such a good example because when your kids are really little, you know, like first grade, second grade age, that's manageable. But then when you slowly add increments of like 15 minute blocks on, like where my daughter's at, like she's going into sixth grade, like it's still manageable. It's for sure more than an hour, but she's used to like the little chunks of information. So I think it's so cool that she lays this foundation and then you build on it. Like that's what I really think Charlotte Mason <laughs> is doing here is like establishing like a, a baseline and then you just are slowly like adding blocks to it, which is really cool. Yeah. And that's a great point. My kids are eight and under. So yeah, I'm definitely in this like home education sphere, but you're, Christine, you're slightly past that. So it's also good to hear that because yeah, I'm one day, my homeschool day will take longer and I'll cross that bridge when I get there. <laughs> Enjoy where you're at now. It's okay. <laughs> I know. I love these short lessons right now. I mean, but they're always short. They're short they compared are. to other homeschool methods, but you know, I'm enjoying the really short ones right now. Right. And that's uh, how you like fit more in. I know it's like a little bit of yes. a deviation, but I love this. So like my daughter's doing like, you know, Plutarch's lives and she's able to do a foreign language and she's doing an instrument and all these things like in no other format could I fit all of that in one day. I mean, she would literally be sitting there for like 12 hours. So thank yeah, God for 100%. Charlotte. <laughs> 100%. I totally agree with you. Like, yeah, the stuff that we read or the stuff that we do, it's like, I wouldn't be able to fit this any other <laughs> way. So I totally am with you there. So the first part in this part is called the habit of attention. And so this, I think all of us were kind of talking about this kind of behind the scenes previously, but this part really feels a lot more like there's a narrative through line throughout this part. It's not so all over the place about all sorts of things. Mm. And this, the concept of attention is probably the most important concept in this whole part. It comes full circle later on once we get closer to the end of this. And so I just, I have so many notes from this first section. Because like one thing I have is short lessons and I don't know where exactly this is in the part. I wasn't good about writing down um, page numbers, but it is it, a big part of the Charlotte Mason method is keeping lessons short, keeping lessons interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's, where is it? I just saw it. Attention at the uh, lessons attractive. So it's just all about, it's not that I think some people could read this stuff and think, oh, Charlotte Mason just wants to cater to the child. It's all about what the child wants. And that's not necessarily true. She's just talking about what the best way to get a lesson into a child's head is. So, um, yeah, what did you guys have any big, um, like, overview thoughts about this little section on attention? So I really loved um, this whole section on a mind at the mercy of associations. <laughs> I thought this was really interesting. Uh, just like the concept of like, like I think of it kind of like, you know, a, a lot of adults even struggle with this. Like your mind is like jumping from thing to thing. And I guess I just never really thought about how it really is a skill, a habit to teach your mind to like focus. And that really lends itself well to the short lessons, right? She knew like there's not... A, six-year-old is not going to be able to talk about butterflies for 47 minutes. I mean, like that's a maybe, but like that's a really long time to focus on one thing. So I love that. And it made me laugh. Like, I feel like this is way funnier than I thought it would be. Maybe I'm just a weirdo, but this book, no. there have been so many parts. I'm like, oh my gosh. But she's talking about, this is like page 138 and 139. Um, she's talking about how the law of association is a good servant and a bad master. And to have this aid in recalling past events um, is an infinite boon. But to be at the mercy of it, you're no better than an imbecile. <laughs> she literally uses the word imbecile. And I thought, oh, my gosh, like, it's so true, though. Like, and it's super easy, I think, for kids, especially where, like, our culture, like, like, if you're watching TV, like, you don't look at the same screen for, what is it, more than, like, 2.4 seconds or something like that. Like, it's really hard to learn the skill of attention now more than ever. So I just thought it was really really cool thing that she focused on. Sorry, I'm just changing it up for those of you watching live, making sure to change the screen to keep your attention here. <laughs> I was like, 
I was like, what is happening? I'm I'm making, I'm making it interesting. Keep keeping the attention here. Um, No, but I definitely, Christine, love that part too. It, it really brought me to a lot of what I got taught as trying to become a teacher is trying to like keep lessons interesting. Now I do wonder if Charlotte Mason would think that there are some classrooms that have maybe taken this too far, you know, where um, that I love utilizing YouTube, but would she think that sitting kids down and watching a YouTube video, even if it is educational, would she think that that was, you know, helpful? Oh, even if it was a short oh. video. Yeah. Yeah. I would love <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts that. about that. <laughs> Because I was thinking about that, like just today, um, I was doing, we were at a park before this and my son came over, he said, oh, hey, mommy, can I use your phone? And I'm like, no, we're at a park. And he said, I want to take pictures of the birds. And I'm like, look, it's nature study. And then I was like, I don't know if Charlotte Mason would really want you using a phone to capture pictures like you know i he should have his nature journal right but in my painting yeah exactly so i'm just like but in my mind the first thing that went i went to was this is nature study like he's taking pictures of birds he's watching them move and it's like a more modern day version but so i wonder if she like how charlotte mesa would adapt to modern day technology i don't think she would yeah Yeah, i was just gonna say (laughs) <laughs> I think we could talk about this for a whole video series yeah. because yeah, let's she, do it. you see her like, sorry, Jenny, where you go ahead. Were you going to say something? Well, no, go ahead. You go ahead. You see her resisting what was like technology, even in her time and talking about the potential pitfalls of it. So I think she would look at what we have now and be like, oh my Lord. Like, and I think I really believe that there would be things like, like the way we have, like there's a book called, um, um, global family portrait, for example, those are like full color photographs. They didn't have that. Then I think that's something she would probably embrace. It's on Ambleside online. Like it's a way to see something that you can't physically go see. I think she would probably like some like nature shows where you get to like watch a, you know, 30 minute video of a polar bear having a baby, you know, things like that. But I think that, um, the main difference is like, you're learning the skill of attention for the sake of learning things and being able to focus is completely different than something like grabbing your attention. If that makes sense. I don't know if you would agree with that, Jenny or not, if that's what you were thinking, but yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, she was against even like illustrations in certain children's books because not, and this isn't really about attention anymore as as far as the point that I'm going to make, but it's also about like taking away from the child's natural imagination so like that also goes to like using the phone to take pictures of things which is something my kids do too like you know there's we live in a modern time we're not going to be like perfect charlotte mason homeschoolers i don't think a single person is ever a perfect Mm -hmm. charlotte mason homeschooler but you know my kids like to take pictures of things and then remember it and then look back at it they take pictures of their like lego things to remember how to build it you know whatever but um i think it's all just about um the child being able to recall something on their own or um, just, just I mean, remember what she was talking about nature study? Like, just look close. If something is boring, just look closer, you know? Mm-hmm. So like Christine said, I mean, you know, there could be some, like, YouTube video that doesn't move. It's just video of, you know, a polar bear. Not edited, nothing. And maybe she'd be okay with that. I don't know. I mean, it would, it would be interesting to know that for sure, honestly. But I think, yeah. honestly, like, using a Charlotte Mason curriculum like Ambleside Online is... I mean, the point is that it's timeless, I guess. So that's kind of my thought is the way I'm homeschooling my kids is, you know, with books. Uh, We don't use a screen, really. We use mystery science every now and then for science. But other than that, um, it's all books. Yeah. It's all like big books. I agree. I think um, one more thing to add to that before we like move on to something else is like there have been, and if I can remember the name of the book, I will tell you all. So you can, if you're a nerd, you can go read it. But they did a study like actually like testing people's brains and memory when they just see something versus when they take a photo or a video and your retention of whatever it is, is diminished significantly when you're taking photos of it or videoing it rather than just observing. It's kind of like like all the people who like take a video of a fireworks show. Yeah. Like, are you really going to watch that later? Like, is it going to be? Well, and it actually, it takes away, like they've done all these different tests to see like, 
is it it's actually diminishing your ability to like absorb the moment. So I think that with like forming not I mean, my kids take my well, my camera's broken, which is a whole nother story on my phone, but they take my used to take my phone all the time and take pictures. But like just last week, we have robins that had a second clutch in a nest right out our window. And I had them start doing their nature calendar. Like they were like, Mom, can I go take a picture? And I literally was like, I'm gonna be that jerk. That's like, no, no you can write it down, whatever. But they've been talking about it like all week. And I'm like, oh my God, like, I don't know what it is. Like they just, I think it's because they have like an ownership in it almost. And they really had to be invested to like notice what was happening. Like, I don't know. Anyways, that's kind of a tangent, but I think. No, I think it's great. (laughs) Yeah. And it it goes to this whole thing of attention because attention is like even harder for us to cultivate these days, like you were Mm -hmm. saying. So it is an interesting question. How would Charlotte Mason adapt to the modern technology? Uh, You know, and, and it's interesting because in her time she was progressive, but in this time we would see her as very traditional and old fashioned and not want to adapt to the technology. But I, but that's only because, and I'm not saying that she wouldn't enjoy videos or whatever in an educational setting, but what I'm saying is I don't think she would appreciate what they're doing to our attention span mm-hmm. and our, our, and our natural curiosity and imagination about things. So um, let's, move on a little bit I mean is there anything else in this section I, I just had so much stuff here um she talked on. a lot about natural um natural consequences like tw- I think yes. twice in this section she like started and then she even came back to it at the end um and there was one like sample that she gave and she talked about um a child if you give a child the assignment to write six m's and then they have 20 minutes, you know, those short lessons to do the assignment or whatever it is, and they finish in 10, then the natural consequence of that is they now have 10 minutes of just free time. And so I understood that. But then I wasn't quite sure, because then she said, if a student then takes, instead takes 20 minutes, and does M's that aren't quite as good, then the natural consequence is that you just move on, and they don't have to like they miss out on the learning. So missing out on the learning is the consequence. And that was interesting to me because I almost feel like my own children would be like, all right, I didn't have to fix those M's that I wrote terribly for 20 minutes. So I'm curious on your guys' thoughts on maybe I'm misunderstanding something here um, or maybe my children are just terrible. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) No. Children are always going to take the path of least resistance unless yes. it's like when they have an opportunity to fight with one of their siblings. So like, I feel like I, I kind of, well, I'm not sure if this is the section you're talking about, but I know at some point she's kind of like, well, okay. There was one part in here that like about mooning, whole, wholesome home treatment for mooning. I think this is on page 147. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to see if this is where I was. It's slightly different, but maybe it does connect. I don't know. But it was, this is something that like, I have one daughter who has like serious attention issues when it comes to sitting down and doing lessons. Part of the reason I do such short lessons is not just because of Charlotte Mason, but because it's literally all I could do with one of my children. And so sometimes she'll be like, da, 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 or not doing things right or whatever. And it says to have them get up, do another task or have them do another lesson and then come back to do this one and do it right. And that's something that actually I've kind of already started to do because Mm -hmm. I find that when kids get super unfocused, it like you have to like snap them out of it and have them do something else, maybe something physical, like something briefly physical and then come back. Um, So I don't know if that's what she was talking about in that section, because I'm really trying to I know what you're talking about, Stacey, because I'm I'm trying to find that section. It's in further. It's in it's in like the one I think about perfect execution, I think, if I'm remembering right. This is like how it's held. Okay. Like needs to do something well, like needs to be able to, I think that's, or I'm just confusing the two. Cause I remember making some notes about that further, further yeah. on the section. Yeah. So, okay. So let everything he does be well done. So this is on page 160. Um, I didn't point out. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'll have to read this. I don't want to just read it while I'm yeah. <laughs> just sitting here, but I do think, I remember you, I remember reading something like that and I was a little confused, but I also just reread it and it made sense to me. So maybe, maybe it'll make sense on the third read. Um, but I, I feel like, let's see, going back to this other stuff. Do you guys um, have kids that are unfocused and moon over their lessons? Yep. <laughs> yeah. I 
my youngest used to do that. Like Lily used to do that often. Mm -hmm. So like, I think it does, some of it has to do with like, so like, she's one of my, she's the kid that has a very well-developed habit of imagination. <laughs> so like, she, it's really easy for her to exercise that habit, but then maybe not the other ones as much. And then my uh, older daughter is very much like a compliant, like she wants to do well and like please people, which can be good and bad. So she really, like she's tried, she focuses really well. She also has a really great attention span, I would say. So I don't know if it's mm -hmm. fair to. Um. <laughs> well, what do you do when your children do kind of, um, are unfocused. Yes. Oh my gosh. You want to hear my default every time? This is it. Yeah. I say, yeah. put your book down. We're going outside. <laughs> like every time. That's very it works without fail. I'm like, let's go outside for like 10 minutes. They have like a watch, you know, I'm like, let's set the timer for 10 minutes. Sometimes I just need to reset too. I mean, it's not always them. Sometimes it's me. That's like, you know, maybe I'm more agitated or whatever. And like, whatever. So they'll go outside for 10 minutes and come back and like 99% of the time it works. So. Yeah. I think that's what she's kind of talking about in this. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to find where I'm at because I have all these notes and I'm like, where are they in the book? Cause I yeah, can't remember. I think <laughs> we're kind of getting into a little bit further into the chapter. Like, okay. Cause so um, the last part I had for this first, I think this was section. Yeah. Section one about attention it's on page 145 in our version of this book but i love that she just kind of clarifies like what is attention mm -hmm. so it says attention is hardly even an operation of the mind but is simply the act by which the whole mental force is applied to the subject in hand and i just i love that she just clarified it i think sometimes um maybe this is like a fault of like modern day like childhood education beliefs but like the bar is really low, if I'm being honest. Like, and I'm not like, I'm not Stacy. I'm not super smart about these things. I do not have any kind of degree about early childhood education. But like when the bar is like, oh, you're two, you can focus for 15 seconds. Or like, oh, you're seven, you can only focus on something for 10 minutes. Like you're never gonna expect your child to be able to do to do that, you know? So I think that obviously every kid is super different, but it does start like at a really young age. And it's just that like, the ability to focus on one thing. She talks about it in, I think it's in this section. Maybe I moved. Oh yeah. She talks about like, I took it as like kids having too almost too much stimuli, like having too many things. So rather than just handing them like blocks and letting them play with blocks and like focus on that, they have all these things. So I think that that's even a way that they can build attention, like looking at something for, you know, a longer amount of time or just having that be an expectation. I mean, honestly, in my house, my kids will tell you the first like six years of their lives, they actually thought bored was a bad word. Like they actually thought it was like a curse word because I tell them that's a bad word. Like we do not use that word in our house mm -hmm. because if you're bored, like I love how you brought that up, Jenny, like you're just not looking closely enough. Like you should not be bored. Like we live in an amazing world. You're not like blind. Like I mean, maybe if you couldn't see or hear anything, I mean, Helen Keller could be bored. I give her permission to be bored, okay? But I think that kind of like pinning it back to that statement of like, it's just the ability to like focus on one thing. Like that's, that's like, to me, like the summary of this whole thing that she's talking about. And that has to start small sometimes. I mean, some kids really do have to start with one minute. And yeah, well, build so that's what she kind of gets to talking about in the next section too, the habits of applica application, etc. Mm -hmm. So it's called, it talks about ma rapid mental effort. And I wrote here the tortoise and the hare because she uses this little illusion. Mm -hmm. Basically, it's like slowly easing into this habit of attention and, um, you know, not expecting too much too soon. Because I think a lot of like Charlotte Mason homeschoolers will be like, or homeschoolers in general will be like, okay, short lessons let's do 10 minutes because that's pretty short, right? Well, when your child is first starting, one minute is kind of a long time or two minutes is kind of a long time. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think it's good to just start slow with any new thing that you are applying, any new process. And then I also like this next section, it goes right into a section that I really like, which is zeal must be stimulated, mm -hmm. which is basically, it, it, so it says, let's see. Uh, the child must not be allowed to get into the mood in which he says, oh, I am so tired of sums or of history. 
his zeal must be stimulated. So basically this is saying, and this is a really short part of the book, but I really liked it. It was, it's basically saying like, if, if you're getting to that point, I'm not saying that my child should be allowed to complain when we're doing homeschool, but if they're getting to that point, then I think you've gone a little too long. So that's how you as the parent are able to, to see when it's a little bit too much for your child and work on that habit of attention slowly a little bit more every single day. So yeah, I wonder what you guys think about that, like keeping lessons interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, again, this is just all coming back kind of to what I would, you know, would have used in like the classroom is trying to keep kids attention. And you kind of do notice when the student, like I'm talking from like a classroom perspective here. Sorry, everybody. Um, but, you know, you can notice when kids like start zoning out or they start looking and that is the time, you know, I this section was really interesting to me because it's like, I agree with everything she's saying, but I know I haven't always done things this way. Um, where it's like, especially in like a classroom setting, it's like, oh my gosh, we have to get through this lesson because we have to get through all of these lessons, you know, especially in public school. We have to get through all these lessons of the year. If we skip this, there's no time in the schedule to make it up or whatever. So you feel like you have to just keep pushing forward. And I feel like, unfortunately, in the public school system, that's kind of what it's gotten to, where it's really hard for a teacher to stop for like a whole week and be like, my class did not understand the radius of a circle. Like, we need to go back and kind of redo it, which, you know, thankfully with homeschooling, you really have that. But there's not a whole lot of time for that individual student. So keeping their attention on something, because sometimes their attention is not there because they either, you know, aren't that interested in that topic right now. Maybe they're thinking about something else that would interest them um, or they like it's too hard for them. Like there are so many different things that could be the reason that it's not keeping their attention. So I just I found it interesting that she didn't really like she said it needs to keep their attention, but she didn't really say I, I know she's going over a bunch of different age ranges right now. So she can't be like, oh, this is what this, you know, this kid should be learning or this kid. So, um, yeah, I guess my whole point is just like, I don't know what, yeah. like, how do you know when it's really just not good for the kid to learn that right now versus, yeah, I hope that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I think that one of the things that I had to really make a distinction, a distinction between in my mind is keeping their attention is not entertaining them. So she talks about this like in the last section or the one before, like it's not a mother or a teacher's job to entertain their students at all. It's their job to facilitate learning. So I think sometimes when we read the word keep attention, like I think of like a circus clown, like, hey, look over here. And you're like, oh my gosh, like, but that's not teaching the child. That's like a monkey and you're like holding a shiny object and you're like throwing it around. Like that's not helping the child learn a new habit at all. It's just like making it even more of a deal. So I think that this is where it comes back to like, like in the schoolroom example, like I'm not a teacher, but well, I do actually, I teach kids like at church and they come from all different educational backgrounds. The, the habit of attention is not something expected of or taught of most kids. Like I would, I would tell every parent that it's just not. And I think that in a lot of school settings, like traditional school settings, it's not, I mean, you you have kids coming to you that have already had habits formed one way or another, you know, you think about, and I hope I'm not offending people. So Lord, just know I'm saying this with love, but I mean, I don't, there's a lot of kids you see like in restaurants that can't even give their attention to their meal for five minutes without freaking out. And they have like a tablet and a phone and a headphones and whatever. So I feel like it's, and I'm not, I mean, I know there's kids that have like legitimate things going on and they need to do that, but that's not most kids. So it's just really fascinating to me. Like, I think that that's why she talks about starting this like at infancy, like when they're little, like you give a kid one thing and they look, at, they play with it. And it's, I think we get used to this like really fast pace of being entertained. And I think that wanting to be entertained is almost like the antithesis of attention. So we don't formulate this. I mean, most adults can't get, I mean, you think about like, if you're watching something on Netflix and it's like slow or you don't enjoy it for a few minutes, you just go watch something else. Like, I feel like attention and patience are really linked. And this is maybe, she doesn't address this obviously because at the time, like how many distractions would you really have? Like, like the light bulb was new and cool. Like there's not like, you know, so I think that when we realize like 
she, I don't think she really addressed a lot of distractions and things that can hinder attention because there weren't as many then. I, I don't know if that's really, that's kind of how I look at this. I don't know if y'all would agree, but. Yeah, and that makes sense. And also I would say as the one person here who has started part five, um, it, <laughs> I would say that she gets into more practical applications for each individual type of lesson, whether it's spelling, dictation, math, poetry, whatever, you know, she gets more into the practical applications of this. So I don't want anyone to feel discouraged. Like she's not giving us enough information. Part five takes up almost half of this book. So yes. there will be lots of practical application in our next episode because I do think that that's important and she does get to it. And now that I'm in part five, I'm like, okay, this whole book, this whole book is making way more sense. So just, just stay with it. If anyone's like, how do I do this? You know, she's just giving the ideas right now, the groundwork. Um, I do have to say though, that the main thing I feel like is just to keep lessons short because that's the only way I can keep my kids attention personally. So that's my only like two cents about how I can possibly keep my kids interested in anything at all yeah so, well if they learn that even if it's two minutes it's a skill that they can build on like if yeah. they know what it feels like to focus on something for two minutes they can then make it three like it, it can build but if they don't ever experience what it's like to focus on one thing then i don't know how you teach a kid <laughs> right well and so in this next i don't know how much you guys want to talk about this the whole lion analogy here of that like it didn't do it for me i'm just gonna be honest <laughs> <laughs> i know it's very we can talk about it <laughs> It's basically saying like, because a guy knew based on different factors, based on how other animals were acting, he knew that there was a lion there on an island, not a different kind of creature, but it had to be a lion just based on all this other stuff. He was making connections basically. And so that's how our children should be thinking and learning is creating those connections and kind of going there in their mind instead of us explicitly saying everything for them. And I think that's something that's exercised in narration and basically, I guess, pretty much all the components of Charlotte Mason education. So um, if you guys are okay, I'm just going to kind of skip over that part and get yeah. into the habit of imagining. Uh, what do I have here? So, I mean, this is cute stuff. <laughs> I, I love this section. Stuff. This is probably my favorite yeah. in this whole part. Well, go ahead, Christine. Can you can you lead us off on this section? Yes. I thought it was really so, I loved this. The part, this is like kind of half, I mean, the whole first part of this was great, but then it talks about imagination growing. And I love this. Like imagination does not descend full grown to take possession of an empty house. Like every other power of the mind, it's the merest germ of a power to begin with and grows by what it gets. And childhood, the age of faith is the time for its nourishing. So I just, I love this because this is an, I really feel like this is another habit that's not really, like my kid, okay, the short time she was in public school, she probably, she got in trouble because this was a very developed habit of hers where she would, you know, like be imagining all these different things and she'd like be given an assignment and she was supposed to answer it like one particular way. And she was like in her mind, like, oh, but what about this and this? Or if it was this, you know? Um, so I think that this is really cool. And at the end of that part also says like, um, like, just like why it's so like why it's so important. It reminded me of the first part where she's talking about like almost like a photo gallery in your mind. Like when you form these things and you're forming these connections yourself in your mind, like you're forming neuro pathways. Like this is why it's so important for kids to be able to pay attention and think on their own and not be an imbecile like like Charlotte was saying because like if they're used to just having information handed to them or ideas handed to them, like they can't make these connections on their own. Um, and I, I love the, the way she said this at the end, it says, but let their lessons do their best and the picture gallery of the imagination is poorly hung if the child has, has not found his way into the realms of fancy. Like, I think it's just so important. It's so important for kids to be able to learn this because everything else is gonna make sense when they have it mm -hmm. mastered. <laughs> Totally. Yeah, I, I love this section. And it's actually pretty short, but it's a really good read, this little section. Um, so is there anything else you wanted to add to that, Stacey? Or do you want to move on to remembering? Because I'm big on remembering. Yes, Ooh. let's move on. I have one more. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, one go more. ahead. Go ahead. So I really like at the end, she gave this like really practical example of like how children ask their parents why all the time. 
and how she kind of like flipped it around and she was saying, you know, like the parents should can ask their children why. So like when your kid asks like, why is this happening this way? Or why does this or whatever? Like you ask them why and let them answer. And then obviously if it's like something that there actually is a reason and you know why explain it to them. But I just thought that was so cool because it teaches them again, the habit of thinking mm -hmm. because like we don't need to hand them every answer. For one thing, I don't have all the answers. But like having them try to make those connections themselves, if they if they come up with something that's not accurate, they have the ability to think and then kind of replace that with what is accurate. And I think it's just so important because those connections, like it's like she says, like learning is like a science of relations. Like when they can make those things connect, that's when it's going to stick. So totally. Yeah. And there's no better way to learn than to teach something. So yeah. It kind of helps reinforce. And that's I love it. Okay, so remembering. I'm big on memory. First of all, I'm, I, I have like a lot of, I don't know, I have a lot of like theories about memory. And I think it's kind of reinforced in here. I remember reading some study or something. And it was basically, it's gonna sound weird, but like memories, memories are remembering. So basically, what you remember is the stuff that you reflect on and you remember. That's what your memories are. So if something happens, and you just never reflect on it, you're really not going to remember it. But the key to memorizing things is to reflect on it. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I really loved this section. And also I just love like memorizing poetry and stuff. So it was just kind of interesting. It's not really talking about poetry here, but you know, it can be applied to how you do something like that in your homeschool, which isn't a super common thing that people teach, but it's something that we've always loved. And it helped my kids when they finally started doing drama and they had to memorize lines because I was like, how are they going to do? They did fine. So kids just are sponges and they just love this mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And also kids are like always reflecting on things. At least my kids are, you know, they're always like narrating what happened last week or, you know, thinking about these things well after they're done because they don't have all the other stuff that us adults have to worry about all the time. So I just, I don't know. I just thought this whole section was really cool. Um, I did see like, like cramming. So someone talks about in a school, a lot of the students would cram and pass a test, but not remember anything. Mm -hmm. And I think this is like the big thing that I'm combating in my homeschool. We've all at least been is, there. Yeah, we well, yeah, we do it for this book club. Are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> don't give away my secrets. <laughs> I said we. I didn't say any one person, but I've done it for this book club already for the first three parts. Um, so it's just. Uh, it's a common thing that most of us have dealt with, like just cramming for a test because we want to pass. But like, what did those good marks show? Pretty much nothing because did you retain any of it? No. So I thought that was like, that hit me hard. So my favorite <laughs> part was the memory and the law of association. And this just like, what, what I kind of on my own train of thought, I just talked about all the train of thought. What that got me thinking about was, just how when you're learning something. So if I'm teaching my kids about anything random, um, actually, we were doing one of the IEW writing lessons, and it was talking about the saguaro cactus in New Mexico. And so two months later, we're listening to an audiobook, Boxcar Children, and they're in New Mexico. And the book specifically is says the giant saguaros. And the boys are like, oh, saguaros, like they, they were like, remembered that lesson, that writing lesson because of the giant saguaro and were able to like associate it. And so that to me is like living proof that what she's talking about makes sense. Like think about all the times where you learn about a new model of car and then all of a sudden you see that car, like my parents just got a new car. And so now I'm seeing that exact car all the time, but I never noticed those cars. I mean, it's not like the cars just magically started appearing, but it was the first time I noticed them. So really making sure you give kids the opportunity to learn lots of different things so that they can connect all those different neuropathways and make those connections for themselves. Mm-hmm. I love in the beginning of this section, like I underlined this and I wrote it down on a sticky note and I feel like it just summarized the whole thing for me. And it just says children learn in order that they may remember. Like we just have to remember like, why are we teaching these things? It's not so they can pass a test. It's not so they can, whatever. It's so they can remember them. So I think that that just shifts everything on its head when you realize like, it, I'm teaching my kids this so they remember. It doesn't mean they're going to remember everything, but like if that's my intention, 
of course it makes sense that I'm going to do short lessons because bite-sized right. pieces is what they're going to learn to then. Of course, I'm going to help them learn how to pay attention because you can't learn anything and remember anything if you don't pay attention. So I just love that. I feel like it was just such a simple summary of like the whole thing. Like we learn in order to remember. Like that's why we're learning, not to pass a test. It's, you know, or get a piece of paper. It's so we can remember. Well, you see this in like Ambleside Online because you're reading multiple books for history. And the way that the schedule is laid out, you know, I used to just use Ambleside Online for the book list, basically in like what ages to introduce which books to kids at what ages, but like, or what grades to introduce books to them in. And um, now that I'm actually using the schedule, I see the mindfulness that they put into creating the schedule mm -hmm. because the chapters really do from different books kind of line up. Not exactly, because I don't think, I think that would be defeating the purpose, but it's kind of like, it's kind of reinforcing the same concept in different ways over the course of time so that you are creating this, like, what is it? The law of association mm -hmm. or, you know, those mm -hmm. that science of relations, whole that whole thing. So you definitely see this when you do actually start applying this because uh, it's, it's a real thing. <laughs> it's a real thing. And my kids are seeing it and I'm seeing it. So. Yeah. And that's, that's that really invest. Fun. That's that capital, like that, investment where they get to accumulate these things and it's going to stick with them like they might not always remember all of it but yes yeah, exactly okay let's talk about perfect execution because our kids do perfect work all the time right <laughs> i have to go on a bathroom break for this <laughs> okay um i think this is funny because this is one of the things about charlotte mason that i've known for a while and it's, i'm just not good at it like narration this and narration i just struggle with and so I work on how to enforce this uh, like perfect execution thing because um, it's hard because you don't want to discourage anyone, but you also need to make sure that they're in the habit of execute, executing things perfectly. So do you guys have any thoughts on this or how do you do this in your homeschool or what do you think about what Charlotte said? <laughs> that should be the name of a podcast, by the way. What do you think about what Charlotte said? <laughs> It's a little wordy, but I like it. <laughs> so um, I liked this. I'm going to be honest. This section, like I agree with everything she said. It's hard for me to implement because I am not a perfectionist and I kind of resist things that feel like that's what it's trying to get me to do. But I know that that's not the intention. So I have to kind of get over myself when it comes to this. But I love that, like, this is in the part where it says a child should execute perfectly. It says no work should be given to a child that he cannot execute perfectly. And then further down, it says, like, let everything he does be done, well done. And I think that this, again, goes back to, like, Charlotte was playing the long game. Like, this keeps coming back to my mind this whole time. Like, it's not about where is your kid at? How fast can he read? What level? It's like, we're looking at long term, what's going to happen. And it's not about, like, what grade they're in. It's like, can they do what they do well? Because if they can do it well, it's because they've mastered it or they get it. Like if you can't do it well, it's because you don't understand it or you haven't learned it all the way yet. So I think that this was like, this section was hard for me, but at the same time, it was really encouraging because it's reminding me of like, like why I'm going to really focus like this next year on like narration with, with my younger daughter, because it's something she kind of does struggle with. And I'm like, handwriting, my Lord, like, don't even get me started on that. But I'm going to just get back to the basics. And sometimes it's not even like going back. It's just making sure you have that foundation there because you can't build a house on a rocky foundation. Like that's not going to work. So I think that's kind of more of what I took from it because otherwise I would just be overwhelmed and irritated. And like, I, <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Stacy, do you have anything to add on this? Cause I do have one more thought, but I want to hear what your thoughts are. No, I taught like everything Christine just said, I have like the same thoughts and, you know, talking about narration, like I've got my children, I'm like, we got to work on narration. So yeah. It, yeah. Me talking would just reiterate everything she said. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Me too. Same. No, but one thing I do want to talk about is this is the one thing that since I've read this, cause I read this pretty early last week, since I read this, I've been applying it in my homeschool since and it's been working and it's the whole thing of um, let the child notice their mistakes themselves mm -hmm. because what we've been doing and she doesn't really go into practical application of this right here in this chapter, but like, you know, handwriting is a big thing that we're working on with my six and eight year old. And what I've been having my eight year old do, or both of them do is go back, like review what we did really quick. And I'm not saying anything and they notice their mistakes typically. 
And I'm kind of surprised by that. So I challenge anyone to just give that a try. Like don't like as they're doing it, don't correct them. I noticed this is something I learned something from my music or our girl's piano teacher. She never corrects them as they're playing. But afterwards, she's like, what do you think you did wrong with that? Or, you know, something mm -hmm. like that. And it's kind of that self-reflection that I think is key with this. And so you might be surprised. Yeah, I'm saying. <laughs> I love that with copy work. That was one of the mm -hmm. things that I implemented like early on in my Charlotte Mason, <laughs> like educating experience is the copy work. Like I'm not sitting there with like a red pen, like, that, you know, like right. with my younger daughter, it's not fun for her. My older one loves copy work. She'd literally do it all day long if I let her. And she has amazing handwriting and always has. But with Lily, like she needs, she has a harder time paying attention to that. But I just have her go back and she sees it. I don't even have to see anything. She's like, oh, like I totally spelled this wrong or I missed this word. And I think it just helps her to own it. And again, make those connections. Yes. The totally. one thing just with all of this that I've been finding is there, again, you know, I, I, I got a lot from the first three chapters. So I just find there's so much to create habits as, as the teacher. Like, you know, remembering like all these things you guys just said about these little tips and things. I'm like, oh, that's brilliant. I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that. And so it's really like, I'm just going to have to pick one thing. Like we were talking about earlier, like I just need to pick one thing and try that. Um, actually, last night when I was reading for some of this, I, I was reading through the whole, like, you know, if your kid's dawdling on math, like take a break. And today without, I didn't realize I was doing it, but we wanted to go to this park day. So I was like, hey we'll finish your math when you get back. And we went to the park day, came back, and then he finished the math. And I was like, wow, that was easy. But it was like taking forever before we left. So then as you guys were talking, I'm like, oh, wow, look, I implemented Charlotte Mason without really? even realizing it. And it worked. And so it's just kind of reminding yourself every day, kind of at the end of the day, what worked well? Like what was something and maybe write it down. Like, hey, this little trick worked. And it's not going to work every time, all the time. But just pick what we you know one or two things to kind of work on to help make your homeschool day easier. Yeah, I love that. And to add on to that, if you're like in the boat that I'm kind of in, where like I've been, you know, I'm aware of Charlotte Mason, I've been dipping my toe, but I haven't really like implemented all of this. Or maybe you're coming to this with older kids and you've never done any of this. Just have realistic expectations because like your kid is not going to know how to narrate perfectly and do all these different things if you've not taught them. So like have realistic expectations, don't be discouraged by it, but like start somewhere, like just start somewhere and don't worry. Like sometimes, you know, reading this, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I wish I had read this seven, 10, 11 years ago, like before I was doing anything with my kids, um, but I didn't. So I'm just gonna take it, you know, make the best I can from it. So I love that you said that, Stacey. Yeah, that's true. I think every, a lot of people are like, even Cindy Rollins, who's a big voice in the Charlotte Mason community, mm -hmm. she's like, I wish that I had read her volumes from day one because I made all sorts of mistakes with my first. She had like nine kids. She's like, I made all sorts of mistakes with the older ones. And then by the time I got to my ninth, I knew everything. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think we all have an element of that in our lives, in our in our homeschools. Let's move on to obedience. I think that this is kind of a drier section of this, but I think it's really important because we need to talk about how, you know, uh, cultivating obedience in your children is a habit that they need to have. And my favorite part of this, honestly, is this whole expect obedience thing. Because sometimes it's easy to like, if you're, if you're, if you feel like your kids are not going to be obedient, it's easy to kind of get a little weaker about asking them things. But really, you have to say what you expect them to do and mean it. And I think that's really important. I think a big thing that sh she's big on is like that structure for your children's like creating habits. So um, obedience is a big part of this. And I think uh, that was a really profound section for me. That's another thing that I've been using. I say things in a way that I mean it. So don't get on my bad side, guys. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, yeah. Do you guys have any thoughts on that, on obedience before we start I... wrapping up? I liked that she said, uh, and this is in the part where she said, obedience is no accidental duty. So it says also he will see that the motive to the child's obedience is not an arbitrary one of do this because I said so. Like it's helping them understand like the moral underpinning 
of like, this is what God calls us to do. This is the right thing to do. Um, and I think that's really important because it's not like you're like a dictator, like do what I said though, because I, you know, like, you know, like I think we've seen those parents that are like, you, the kid asks, you know, like, what do I need to do? And they're like, do this. And they're like, why? And sometimes it's a challenging thing, but sometimes they're just curious and the, because I said so, you know, like, and I feel like I've, I mean, I've done that. So I've done that. I'm not saying that's bad, but I think helping them understand, like, it's really important. It's not just because I'm arbitrarily like telling you what to do. And it's something that they're going to need for their whole lives. Like obedience is, oh man, this is, people have been writing books about this with Gen Z. I mean, they're like, that's not my truth. That doesn't align with my truth. Like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, oh boy. Like this is going to serve them their entire lives. If kids can yeah. learn to do this. Yeah. Obedience is something that I do think we're losing. This, mm-hmm. this section might be kind of like a lost art. Um, a yeah. lot something lost to history because. Yeah. Because I guess there's no obedience to anyone. I mean, if you don't have obedience to anything, then why would you be obedient to anyone mm-hmm. else? Like if you're not obedient to your teacher or your parents or your God, then why would you be obedient to anyone? So I, I do agree with that. I do agree that kids these days just are not as obedient as maybe they, that's not something that is being cultivated. Like maybe it used to be. So yeah, and I love that how you have to do things because they're right. And that's something yeah. that like it takes time to sit down and explain that to kids instead of just being like, I told you so. But you have to take that time or at least convey things quickly to them that is going to make sense to them and resonate with them because they're just kids. Like we have to remember they're just kids. Like we have to yeah. explain things to them sometimes. Yeah. And I love okay, that well, it talks about oh, like expecting it of them. Like every single one of these is you can, ex- once you've trained like your kid, you can expect them to rise to this level. And I think it's kind of sad when you think about it. Like if our culture isn't, you know, teaching something like obedience, like who doesn't want to have expectations put on? I mean, like, it feels like it's like, are you're not an idiot. Like you're able to do these things. So I think it's such a disservice if you don't expect your kids or just kids in general to be able to, to obey. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sorry. You're no, you're, you're preaching to the choir. And then truthfulness, this section, I think it just kind of speaks for itself. And we're kind of here at the end wrapping up. So there wasn't anything that I, I, I didn't really make any special notes about this, but I think it's just cultivating truthfulness in your kids. This is another thing that I think is really important. And uh, so do you have any like final thoughts about this section here? Any, either of you? It was, this section was kind of convicting for me, (laughs) truthfully, (laughs) because I was like, oh man, like even like embellishment or exaggeration isn't truthfulness. And I think that it's hard, especially if you're like a person or a kid that likes to make people laugh, for example, like the way you tell a story might be like, not in a way of lying, but exaggerated. But it was really interesting for me to read that and think about like, huh, like, I don't know if I'm always super cognizant of how that impacts my kids or helping my kids to understand like, okay, there's a place to like, tell a really big, funny story. But as long as you understand, like, that's not like the truth of what actually happened, you know, there weren't actually a million spiders, there were four, like, let's just, you know, (laughs) so I thought it was it was a good like, food for thought. Yes, I agree with that. And I have certain a certain person or people in my family that love to exaggerate I might be one of them I don't know but also it's one of my kids so I'm like okay I actually have to model this good behavior Mm -hmm. to my kids too Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I know I do that not that I'm trying to lie but um sometimes it's more fun like you said to right like oh I'm starving to death well no like I'm actually not (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm perfectly fine (laughs) yeah okay well yeah that's part four we basically got to every part of that I don't know what to call those little subsections. So I'll have to figure out a better term for that. So yeah, thanks for joining us for this. We love doing this summer book club. The next part is an absolute monster. Part five is almost half of the book. So be prepared for that. Start reading immediately after this episode is done. Just go start reading it, everyone out there in the audience, because (laughs) you're going to need the time. And I wanted to mention with our schedule Next week is going to be our last day of doing these live recordings because we're going to record the episode for part five. And then immediately after that, we're going to go live again and discuss part six. So they'll still be up as individual episodes, but we're going to be recording them in the same night. So if you want to be like 
watching all of that in the same night, then you can read parts five and six and you'll have them. Or if you need a little more time to read the parts, you can always go back and um, just watch them at your own leisure. There's really no rules to this. So we're just here to talk to you and, you know, maybe you guys talk to us a little bit. You can go to all the information for our summer book club at our website. That's kidslearningforlife.com slash summer book club 2022. And I think it's time just to say, oh, oh, find us on social media at Kids Learning for Life. We just got professional headshots taken. So please go look at our new profile picture all over every platform. And so now it's time to say, see you next time. <laughs>